All right, good morning. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Good, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad everybody's here. I'm glad our folks from uh, the, the Haiti team are back today, so uh, we're glad to see them. Um, last week, we, we took a little break from our current sermon series that we're in, and, uh, and Clyde came and preached for us. And uh, so this week, we're back, we're back into that. And what we're talking about, what we've been talking about, is what it means to live independence of the Holy Spirit, what it means to live in dependence of the Holy Spirit, contrary to the independent lives that we are kind of prone to trying to lead, where we're, we're kind of doing things individually on our own, those kind of things, and, and we're really taught that uh, for the most part in, in our society that, you know, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of stuff and, and, and those kind of things. Um, also, contrary to what we're celebrating at the end of this week with our independence from Britain and all that good stuff. So we're talking about being living and why we should live this life in dependence of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we're looking at the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit does for the believer in the life of the believer. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the stuff that we've already talked about because we would be here for three or four hours if I, if I did that. So I want to just jump right into this, this role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life today. I want to do that by asking a question. I want to get into this particular role of the Holy Spirit uh, by asking a question, and it's, I'll call it a bit of a rhetorical question, but I think most everybody would probably answer this thing with a, oh yes, absolutely, I, I've done this. Um, so the question is this, have you ever wondered what God's will is for you? Have you ever asked that question? What is God's will for me? What is God's desire for me in this situation? What I'm, I'm faced with a choice. What am I supposed to do? What does God want me to do in this particular scenario? Um, specifically, like when you have a decision to make. You know, and these things are usually, these questions usually come up like this. They're usually posed like this. Where would God have me to live? Is it the house on this side of town or the house on this side of town? Which one am I supposed to choose? Which one is God's will for me to live in? Uh, does God want me to accept this new job opportunity? You know, you're faced with a job opportunity. A, a, a new position has come up. Does God want me to take that position? Um, is this the person God wants me to marry? Am I supposed to marry this person? Is this God's will for me to marry this particular person? Where does God want me to go to college? Where do, where do I, does he want me to go to college? Where, does, where is that? What church does God want me to go to? If you're asking that one, I can go ahead and tell you right now. Here. <laughs> Anthem Church. If that's your question, this is it. <laughs> but anyway, we could go on and on and on with a, a plethora of questions just like that where we're, where we're faced with a decision, we're faced with a scenario, and we've got to make a choice, and we're asking ourselves, what does God want me to do here? What am I supposed to do in this situation? What direction does he want me to go? But at the root of all those questions, it's the same. It's what is God's will for me? And then we don't usually stop with what is God's will for me here. It's if I make the wrong choice, what's going to happen? If God's will is for me to do this, but I don't do that, what happens? Am I now outside of his will? Am I now outside of any blessing that he may have had for me? Is he up there shaking his head like, man, what did you do that for? That's the kind of things that conjure up in us where we start asking those kind of questions. And we wonder, we'll drive ourselves crazy 
with that kind of stuff. And we've all done this, right? Or am I, am I alone? I hope I'm not alone because I've asked those questions myself. Um, but we, will, we literally have driven ourselves crazy trying to discern exactly what God's will is for us. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to set your mind at ease, all right? I'm going to just burden lifted. It's going to be glorious because I'm going to tell you what God's will is for you. I'm going to tell every one of you what God's will is for you. Now, what I want you to do, and this is the only passage I'm going to call your attention to, but I want you to open your Bible up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. The answer to that question, what is God's will for me, is one simple verse of Scripture. One simple verse of Scripture. Actually, it's not even a whole verse. It's a part, a portion of a particular verse of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, the very first part of that passage of scripture and it says this Paul writing to the Thessalonians says for this is the will of God your sanctification that is God's overarching will for every person on the planet for every one of us all of humanity that is God's overarching will for his people their sanctification okay in whatever decision we need to make, in whatever choice we have before us, the ultimate question is, is it going to increase my sanctification? Am I going to be more sanctified by doing this or this? Because that's God's will, is for me to be sanctified. Now, I'll say this, the, the specific context of this particular verse is referring to sexual purity. Okay, that's more specifically what he's referring to here. But in the overarching uh, realm of scripture and everything in the bible it all points to this very same thing it's our sanctification what god's will for us is our sanctification god would have for every one of us to be sanctified and that's what we're going to talk about this morning we're going to talk about this whole idea of sanctification what does it mean to be sanctified and how does the holy spirit work in that we're going to talk about that this morning as we go through this i want to I want to ask and answer a series of questions as we talk about this whole idea of sanctification. We'll ask them, and then we'll answer each question as we, as we go through. So our very first question in thinking about this whole idea of sanctification and the Holy Spirit and all that is, first of all, what is it? What is sanctification? What does that even mean? That's not a word that gets thrown out a whole lot these days, right? So the word sanctification, it comes from two Latin words. Okay, this is where I'm going to get a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Smart? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, like educated sounding or whatever. Anyway, sanctification comes from two Latin words. The first word is sanctus. Sanctus, and that word means holy. Sanctus means holy. The next word, the second word is ficare. These are two Latin words. Ficare meaning to make. You put those two words together, you get sanctification to make holy that's what the word sanctification means at its root at its very core at its very simplest form that's what the word sanctification means again that is God's will for every single one of us he wants us to be holy he wants us to be holy he wants us to be pure and right and spotless and blameless separated from anything evil or sinful undefiled 
Ultimately, this, mean, ultimately, this means like Jesus. That's what God wants. He wants us to be like Jesus. That's what he wants for us. That's what his will is for us. Now, Peter makes this point as well um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, and 14 through 16, when he writes it like this. This is how he says that God's will is your sanctification. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So according to this verse, according to these verses here that Peter writes, not only is our sanctification, sanctification something that God wants, it's something that he demands, he commands it. He says, you shall be holy. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, this is a good idea. You might want to try to be holy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you shall be holy. It's a declaration. It's an imperative. And we are to do it how? Verse 14 says, as obedient children. We do it as obedient children. So the point there is that we play a part in this becoming holy as well okay it, we play a part in this whole scheme of things and here's how uh, the theologian Wayne Grudem he describes sanctification like this this is how he describes sanctification sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So sanctification is a progressive work. It's a, it's a moving thing. It's a, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not stationary. It, it moves with us. It grows in us. Sanctification is increasing in our lives. It should be ever increasing in our, in our daily, daily lives. Um, I would say that it's even, it's evidence, our sanctification, the fact that we are increasing in Christ's likeness, is evidence of our salvation. Does that make sense? It's evidence of our salvation. It's what shows evidence that you have indeed been saved, that you do truly acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, because he's affected your life. He's changed how you do things. He, he comes in, he makes you different. And I want to I hit this point as well. Um, sanctification is a progressive work. It's a process that happens in the, in the whole process of salvation. So I want to digress just a little bit and talk about that really quick. Because the, the Bible describes salvation as, as so much more than just a one-time event in your life. It's, it's just way more than, than walking an aisle and saying a prayer. It's just way more than admitting that you're a sinner and receiving Jesus as your Savior. It's far more than that. It's a process. That's a beginning point, but it is a process that, that you go through throughout the rest of your life. It's much more than a profession of faith and being baptized. Those are just individual points in this process of salvation. And salvation begins, the beginning point there is, is called regeneration. It's the whole process of salvation starts with regeneration, okay? 
this is where this is what happens when God opens your heart to the fact that you are a sinner that who is in complete and total opposition to God. You recognize this. He opens your heart to realize this. And you understand your position as a, as a sinner in opposition to God. But he not only does that, he also opens your heart to the love that he has displayed through his son Jesus on the cross. He opens your heart to understand that as well. You see yourself as a wretched, no good sinner, yes. But you also see the love that he poured out for you on your behalf. And then that's also the point at which you... You, uh, you recognize that, and then by faith, you accept it as the truth. You then repent of those sins. You repent of those things that he has opened your heart to, he's made you aware of, and then you acknowledge who Jesus is. You acknowledge his, his position, who he is, the Son of God, that he has died in your place. You recognize that, and then you surrender your life to him. You surrender your life and your will to his will. And as a result of that, God then forgives you. He then comes in and he, he redeems you. He, he buys you back because of what he's done there. He redeems you. He, he purchases you. Then you are made into a new creation. He adopts you into his family. You're born again. All those Christianese terms. But you're regenerated. That's what regeneration means. Regeneration is a new creature. You're changed from something that you were to something else. And that's what happens at that initial point of salvation at that beginning point of salvation you're no longer considered an enemy of God rather you're now a child of God and that again is a one-time event that happens and it's done regeneration you're done the next process the next part of this process is called justification justification and it really justification and re regeneration really happen kind of in conjunction with one another kind of at the same time they're, they're not necessarily two separate two separate times uh, but justification and regeneration happened. Justification is, um, is when God declares you innocent and righteous before him. So you are now justified. You are now changed from being a, an enemy of God again to a child of God. He declares you innocent and righteous. And he does that because of the innocence and righteousness of Christ. He imputes Jesus onto you. That's justification. He, he now makes you right with him, whereas before you were not. You are now right with him through this idea of justification. Now, regeneration and justification are both what I would call prerequisites to sanctification. College students would understand that, right? You got a, a course that you have to have this course in order to be able to get to this course. Well, you got to have regeneration and justification before you get to sanctification. You cannot be sanctified until you are regenerated and justified. Does that make sense? Everybody follow me there? So they're prerequisites. They have to happen beforehand so all in all this is a process this is a process and then the sanctification process is when you start growing in your relationship with Christ and the process then ultimately ends with glorification so you got regeneration justification sanctification that happens all through this life and then glorification happens at the end of this life or when Jesus returns that's when we will be glorified made perfect right all that kind of stuff and be with him forever so again sanctification is just one part of this whole process of salvation um, but unlike regeneration and justification it progresses it gets bigger greater in our lives it increases in our lives and that increase that co constant change in our lives should be evident should be one of those things that people see that we can kind of measure it so to speak so we saw earlier just a second ago 
that there's a part that God plays in our sanctification. Ultimately, he is the one orchestrating all of it. We'll talk about that in just a second. But we also have a part to play as well. Okay, look at what Wayne Grudem said again. He said that sanctification is a progressive work of both God and man. Okay, so what this means is that we each have a responsibility. We each have a role, a role to play. And that leads us into our next question. So now we've answered what sanctification is. The next question is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification? What is the role of, of God in this whole thing? Now clearly, clearly since God is the primary worker of our salvation, we do not come to him on our own. He is the one that quickens us. He's the one that makes us alive. He is the one that comes to us. He approaches us and draws us to him. He does that. He is the worker of our salvation. It stands to reason that he would also be the primary worker in our sanctification as well. He is the one orchestrating all of this. He's the main character, let's say. Um, and we learned in the first sermon of this sermon series that we're in that it is the Holy Spirit who is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God given to us to dwell in us. At the point you become regenerated, the, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in every believer. He becomes your helper. He is sent to be your helper, to live this life here on earth, to help you grow in your sanctification. Um, and let's face it, we need that help. We need that help. You may not, I do. I know I need it because I am very prone to going my own way and doing my own thing, doing what I want to do. I will do that in a heartbeat. I've got to have the Holy Spirit there to help direct me and help guide me. So we need some help. We need some help, right? I would say check that. We need a lot of help. I would say no, check that too. We need so much help that we can't even do it by ourselves. We need God to do this stuff in us. We need him to work in us. Um, so our question now is, what are those things that the Holy Spirit does in us? What are some of the things that, that the Holy Spirit works in us as he's helping us grow in our sanctification? Now, there is a myriad of things that we could talk about right here. I'm only going to do two. All right, I'm going to talk about two different things just really quickly um, as much as we can here. So our question is, what does the Holy Spirit do? What, 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 is that, what exactly is the role of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification? And to help shed some light on that, we're going to look at just, like I say, a couple of different, different scriptures. The first one is John chapter 16, verses 6, or excuse me, 7 and 8. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. And John writes this. This is actually Jesus talking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He is about to, this is like the night before his crucifixion. He is about to be crucified on the cross, um, dead, buried, all that kind of stuff, and then raised from the dead three days later. But this is just prior to that. I would say this is probably, they're probably in the upper room. They probably had supper, and they're just sitting around talking, and Jesus is sharing with them now. And he refers to the helper in verse 7. Okay, so this helper that he's talking about, we learned a couple weeks ago again, that it's actually referring to the Holy Spirit. That is who specifically he is talking about. And he says what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to come, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict the world concerning sin. 
Okay, that's the first thing he says he's going to do is convict the world concerning sin. And that's what I want to kind of focus on for just a, a couple seconds here. There's a, there's a couple of different meanings for the word convict. Uh, conviction can be like in the idea of sentencing, like you're, you've been convicted of a crime and now a sentence has to be handed down. There's also the idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago also that the word convict can mean convince. So the role of the Holy Spirit in this context is not the conviction as in the sentencing. That comes later, God at the judgment and all that kind of stuff. That's when that happens. This context is more of the convincing. It's letting people know, reminding people, showing people what the sin is, what sin is in their lives, those kind of things. He comes in and he reveals that stuff to us. Um, so he's here, the word means convince more than convict. The Holy Spirit is sent by God to convince the world of sin. He comes to let us know about our sinfulness, to, to show it, to reveal it to us, to open our hearts to it, those kind of things. And when he does that, when he brings that conviction and when he brings that convincing of our sinfulness, something happens in us, typically, should, if the Holy Spirit is working, and that is guilt shame, regret, all those kind of things come when you realize and you've been shown that you've done something wrong, right? And we understand, too, that when you know, you know you've done something wrong, you know punishment has to be involved, or you should. I mean, you break a law, punishment comes, right? There's, there's consequences for, for those kind of things. Um, so it stands to reason there would be punishment for sin against God as well. So what that does, the Holy Spirit coming and convincing us of sin shows us a need for a Savior. Does that make sense? You realize, wow, we've done something wrong. We are, we are liable to be punished. We are absolutely guilty. We need to be punished. We need, we need a Savior. If I'm going to get out of this, I need a Savior. We need to be rescued. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the means by which God, one, opens our heart to these things and opens our heart to our sinfulness, but he also opens our heart to our need for, our, for a Savior. And without the Holy Spirit coming in, we would, not, we would not understand those things. So he comes to convince the world of sin. The next role, the second thing I want to talk about, is uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So in these verses, in these verses, what we see is that by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we, we are not only convicted of our sin, convinced of our sin, He washes us clean. He washes us clean of those things as well. Okay, so He's not only sent to just uh, convict us of those things and tell us who we are without God, but he washes us, okay? Washes us of those sins that we are convicted of, that we are convinced that we have committed. It is the Holy Spirit who washes, sanctifies, and justifies. Notice the verb tense in verse 11, okay? 
Look at the verb tense in verse 11. Everything mentioned there is past tense. I think that's, I think that's a point to be considered, all right? Because he gives a list of some nasty stuff, right? And he says, such were some of you, were some of you. They were washed. They were those things. They had been those things. They are now washed. They are now sanctified. They are now justified. The Holy Spirit, upon their regeneration, has washed them clean of those things. So, the implication there is, the implication of that is, if you've been washed, don't go getting nasty again. Stay clean. Try to stay clean at least. Do your best to stay clean. Parents, I know you understand this. You just gave your kid a bath. Don't go get nasty again. You don't want them to do that. So I know you understand what I'm talking about here. Okay, so that's what he says. Just don't go get nasty again. Stay away from that stuff. Stay clean as you can. And I would say that the same is true for us today. The Holy Spirit continues to work the same way for us in both of those scenarios. He convicts us of our sin. He convinces us of our sin. He also washes us clean of the filth and the nastiness that is the sin in our lives. So our responsibility now then, and those are just a couple things. I mean, we could go on and on and on and talk about how the Holy Spirit renews us and how the, the Holy Spirit just does all these different things in us as believers. And it all just points to the fact that we cannot live this life alone. You, you cannot live a sanctified life. You cannot do these things by yourself. We literally could go on and on, but we don't want to be here for three, four hours like Rick said a few minutes ago. Um, so, long story short, we need to turn away from those things. We, we're washed, we're convicted, we're washed clean. Turn away from those things. And that then brings us to question number three, our third question of the day. What then now is our role in sanctification? We've answered the question, what is sanctification? What is the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification? What is our role in our sanctification? Okay, one more time. Grudem's quote. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. We, we don't get a free pass, all right? We, we don't get a free pass on this one. There is a role that we play in our own sanctification as well. It is a two-fold role. It has two sides, all right? The first one is a passive role. The first one is a passive role. This is the role we like, all right? This is the part of our sanctification that that we like because this is the part where God is still working in us we're just looking to him to work does that make sense we're, we're looking to God to work in our lives the passive role is that we understand our dependence upon God to truly sanctify us we recognize that we understand that because we know our own sinfulness and those kind of things it's not something that we can do on our own we understand that God's involvement is absolutely crucial it is necessary that we can't do it by ourselves. And what we do is, in that, we ask him to work in it. We ask him to do those things. We go to God and say, God, please sanctify me. Please make me these, these things. Look at, how, um, look at how the psalmist writes this. And I wasn't sure who wrote Psalm 119, but that's where it comes from. I think it's David, but I'm not certain. But uh, Psalm 119, there's a handful of verses here, 33 through 40, that I want us to read together. So you can see kind of what this should look like in our lives. 
So the psalmist writes, starting in verse 33 of Psalm 119, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm in your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. So the psalmist says, teach me, give me, work these things in me. He says, incline my heart, lead me, turn my eyes away from the things I don't need to see to the things that I do need to see. Confirm in your servant. These are all, this is all language of, I can't do this. You've got to do it in me, God. And then the result is, I will then do something else. Once you do this, I will do this. So that's what he's saying. He is acknowledging the need for God to work in his life. He needs, something, he needs God to do something in him before he can then do what he's supposed to do. So he can't do it alone. He understands this. He recognizes this. And I would say that we would do well, we would do well as individual followers of Jesus to pray that same kind of prayer on a regular basis. God, give me understanding. Teach me your laws. Lead me in your precepts. Do these things in me, God. We would do well to do that. If we did, I truly believe if every believer would genuinely pray that way, then, then we may not celebrate sin like we do. We, we kind of just sit on it and it's okay, good, whatever. We don't look at it like we should. If we prayed that way and we did that, then I think we may view sin a little bit differently in our lives and we might strive more towards our sanctification so our role in our sanctification is passive all right it's passive in that God has to work in us he's got to work in us we cannot do it alone we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit but it's not only a passive role it is clearly an active role we clearly clearly have an active role to play in our sanctification and that that role is active in the sense that over and over and over and over again in the Bible, we are instructed to strive towards holiness. We are instructed to strive toward it, to work for it, to surrender our lives to God, to be obedient, to deny ourselves, to be self-controlled. We are told over and over and over again repeatedly to do these things. That is very clearly a choice that we make. That is very, very clearly God saying, do these things. Those are all choices that we are responsible for our own obedience to God. There is no passing the buck. You know, there is no the devil made me do it. None of that kind of stuff. It's on you. Your obedience is your choice. I have this conversation with my daughter over and over and over again. I say, Carly, if you... If, you don't, if I ask you to do something and you don't do it, then you clearly chose to not do that. If you won't, if I ask you to do something and you do it, then you chose to do that. And she'll try to make some crazy argument that that's not the case or whatever. But it's what it is. It's a choice. We either, we either say, okay, or we say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a choice that we make. 
It is the same with God. God gives us instructions. He gives us direction in the Bible. He tells us what to do, what not to do, all those kind of things. We then choose to either do it or not do it. We either choose to obey or we choose to disobey. We have a conscious choice to make each and every single day. Now, let me, let me say this too. This is referring to the believer. All right? I would say that the non-believer, I don't know that they have a lot of choice in whether they sin or not. Because even their, even their good choices are not good, separate from God. Does that make sense? So this is really referring more to the believer. And I would say it's more particularly heinous before God because you've been regenerated. You've been justified. You are being sanctified, and that yet we then still choose to go against him. So we don't want to do that. We want to go the other way. We want to work. We want to strive towards our holiness. So we said obedience. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He talks about that as well. He says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So Peter says that we are sanctified for obedience to Jesus, for obedience to Christ. Our role in our sanctification is to be obedient to Jesus. We are to actively obey the teachings of Christ through the Scriptures. The more we obey, the more sanctified we become. It makes sense, right? The more you do what you're supposed to do, the closer you're going to get to whatever it is you're trying to get to. Right? Think about it in the, in the sense of playing sports or playing an instrument or something like that. Right? If you want to get really good at playing a sport or if you want to get really good at playing an instrument, what do you have to do? You've got to practice. What does that mean? That means you do it over and over again. You repeatedly do the things that you're supposed to do. You want to practice right, because if you practice wrong, you're going the wrong way. So you want to practice in such a way that's going to get you to where you want to go. It's the same with our sanctification. It's the same with obeying God. We want to be more like Christ. We're commanded to be more like Christ, and we need to practice those things. We need to choose to obey and to do those things like we're supposed to do. It's the same exact concept. Being obedient to Christ is simply practicing. It's simply practicing day in, day out, in preparation for every day when we, when we get up and we go through our day, practice those things. Practice those things. And what we're ultimately practicing for, what we're ultimately trying to get to, is that day when we stand before God, when we stand before Him, and He can look at us and say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. What you have worked so hard for here. Now, again, let's not confuse this with working for our salvation, okay? This is working from our salvation. This is working out of regeneration, out of being saved. Not a earning of it. It's a working because of. Does that make sense? I don't want to get, I don't want to confuse anybody here that our obedience earns us anything. Our obedience is a result of our salvation. But we want to hear God say that. We do want to hear him say that. What we don't want to hear him say is, and who are you? And I see you did a whole bunch of stuff, but you did that without me. Therefore, I don't know you. So you need to depart. That's, that's a warning that we find in Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. I don't have that one, but that one just came up. Um, we don't want to hear him say that. We want to hear him say, well done, well done. 
So in order to practice right, in order to practice the right way in being obedient, that requires self-denial. That requires self-denial. Look, uh, look at Luke 9, 23. This is Jesus talking again. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. Turn away from the things that you want so badly. Turn away from those things. Turn to my things, the things that I want you to do. Take up your cross and follow me. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God or yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are instructed to deny ourselves, not to give ourselves over to the passions of our flesh, uh, the things that, those things that we really, really, really want to do because they come natural, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you need to turn away from that. We need to turn away from those things. And if we do those things, if we do obey our passions, then we are hindering our sanctification. Our sanctification requires self-denial, us turning away from the things that we may want. So the question then is, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make that happen? How do we deny ourselves? Look at Romans 8, chapter, thir chapter 8, verse 13. One verse here. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working in you, you put these things to death, the, the things that are wrong and that are the sins in your life, you put those things to death, then you will live. What he's saying here is, put sin to death, kill it. Kill it. Kill the deeds of the body. Essentially, it's make war. Make, you're at war with yourself we got to fight. we got to fight hard in this battle. Okay, we got to fight against our flesh. we got to fight with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. we got to fight to resist the devil. If we do that, he will flee from us, James tells us. we got to fight against those tricks that he tries to, to lure us in with. we got to fight like crazy people, y'all, all the time. I mean, and it's not just a go into battle every now and then thing. This is a daily thing. It is a every day, all day long thing we've got to fight. And it's hard. It's hard and it might hurt. It's not always going to be fun, that's for sure. But Jesus never said it was going to be easy or fun even. But if we fight anyway, and we fight because we care more about what God thinks because of what he's done for us than we care about our own selves. That's, that's why we do that. Now, this fight, let me, I want to say this too. This fight that we got to do, and we got to, I mean, and it's a struggle. It's, we got to fight with everything in us. This is referring to your personal sanctification. Okay? It, it's not what the world does. It's not what um, non believers, sinners are doing. Sinners are going to be sinners. That's what they do. This is for believers. He's talking to believers here. We've got to fight with everything in us for our own sanctification and it's not going to be easy it's not going to be a simple thing but it is absolutely totally a necessity and it is required that we do it 
And that's going to bring me to our last, last question of the day, last couple of questions, really. Um, a few questions I'm going to ask as we kind of wind down and, and, uh, and wrap up. So these are things I want you to just ask yourself as we think about what we've talked about, what sanctification is, what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our sanctification, what our role is, those kind of things. And the, the first one is, has salvation begun, this is what I want you to ask yourself, has salvation begun in me or do I want it to begin right now? Where do you stand there? Can you say that, that salvation has begun in you or do you need it to begin right now? Now, and maybe that's where you need to start. Um, I don't know. Could it be that just a, a real, genuine relationship with Jesus is where you need to begin? Because until, the, until that happens, all the rest of the sanctification stuff doesn't matter. We've we got to have that initial, that initial part. And, and again, only you can answer that question. No one else can answer it for you. And then the last question is, the last series of questions here, if God's will is for me is sanctification, being made like Jesus, is that being worked out in my life? Can I say that that is happening to me? Can I say, can I say that I see sanctification happening in me? Can I see my growth? Can I see my, my movement towards Christ-likeness? Am I beginning to sin less and less? Now be assured, you are never, ever, ever going to reach sinlessness in this life. It is not going to happen. You cannot do it. It's, it's just not going to happen. That happens, like I said, at glorification. But do you see movement that way? Is there evidence? What proof do I see of that in my life? What areas are there that you may need to be more obedient in? What areas are there that you may need to turn away from? Things that the Holy Spirit is convincing you of a sin somehow that you need to turn away from? Is there an area you need to surrender to God? Are you taking a completely passive role to your sanctification? This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the whole kind of let God, let go, let God mentality. That's a completely passive role in our sanctification. We can't, we can't have that. Is that the kind of mentality you have towards that? Or are you taking an active role in your sanctification? Are you fighting? Are you fighting that good fight that Paul talks about? And then the last question here is, where would, where would you, where would I like to see more evidence of sanctification in my own life? Where, where would you like to see more evidence in your own life? So I want us to just think about those things as, as we just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes, and the praise team is going to come in just a minute. Um, just think about those things. Ponder on those for just a, a, a minute or so here and, and see how the Lord would have you respond this morning. And then I will, uh, I'll pray. And then, uh, like I said, the praise team will come and, and lead us this morning. Lord, we come to today 
acknowledging, Lord, our complete and total, utter dependence on you. Not just in our sanctification, Lord, but in every facet, every aspect of our lives. We just happen to be talking about sanctification this morning. But Lord, we need you everywhere, in every way. But Father, as we do, as we do think about what you've done, your grace and your mercy, and the fact, Lord, that you do draw us to yourself, you do save us, you regenerate us, you make us new, you justify us, you make us right before you. Father, it should be in our heart to be sanctified, to want to live and do and everything we do, Father, for you. So, Lord, I pray this morning that, that, that you would open our hearts to what sanctification really is and the fact that we need to work in it ourselves. We thank you for reminding us that it is you who ultimately does all of it and that we can trust you, we can lean on you, we can look to you for help. Lord, you convict us of our sin. You wash us clean. Father, you make us new. All these things that, that you do as part of that. And then all we got to do is just be obedient. Just do what it is that you've asked us to do. Do what you've called us to do. What you've shown us to do. Stay away from the things you tell us to stay away from. Lord, you show us in your word how life works best if we would just do it. So, Father, I pray for everyone in this room right now. Lord, one, that they know you. One, that they are a child of God, that they have, that they have been redeemed, that this salvation process has begun in them. Father, if not, if they don't, I pray that you would draw them to you this morning. Draw them so strongly, Lord. Stir your spirit in them so strongly that they can't help but surrender to you right now. Just by faith, looking to Jesus for their salvation to begin. And Father, I pray that for those of us who, who are followers, who have been redeemed, Lord, that you would give us strength and courage and all the things that we need, Lord, in this life to be obedient, to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. Father, we need your help. No, we don't need your help. We need you to do it in us. So I pray that you would do that in each one of us today, Father. Lord, as we, as we sing these songs together, I, I pray that you would, uh, you would be worshipped, that you would be uh, high and lifted up. And Lord, that you would again just move in this place in such a way that you draw people to yourself. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.